0: Welcome to the Feed for Service Dentist podcast, Dr. Sonny Spirit. Today's guest, Dr. Allison Kovach. Kovach. She is a story of resiliency and persistence and true path to understanding who she is and what she's about. Two years, didn't get into dental school, didn't stop her. Went to a program, spent a year, then got in then graduates worked three years in a basically a low cost Medicaid mill barely made enough to survive. But that's not going to stop her and her story is inspirational. I enjoy speaking to her. She's got a ton of energy and exuberance. She just started her own practice. That's right startup feed for service practice may. 2023 open the doors June of 2023 and we're recording this she's six weeks into practice. I can't wait to see how she's doing a month, two months, six months down the road and we're going to have a follow-up. So please Dr. Allison Kovach, tremendous story. I think you'll all get a lot out of it. As always our podcast the Feed for Service Dentist podcast brought to you by Kettenbach Dental. I'm going to give you the number first 877-532-2123 remember Kettenbach sells direct there's no middleman they also have local reps in your area Kettenbach-dental.us check out their new product Vesalus fill and Vesalus flow it's a nano hybrid composite highly filled it's very dense very strong and very good durability can be used anterior posterior check them out Kettenbach Dental 877-532-2123 if you like the podcast click like share it with your friends you want to send feedback send it to me or you can send it to ffsdentist at gmail that's Drew or you can send it to me sunnyspirit at gmail.com or you can text me or call me 607 624-2962, I love speaking to you folks out there. Hopefully this is helping you all and giving you a good image that you can be independent and you can run your practice. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks.
1: My name is Drew Burns and I'm a part of a small group of dentists who believe something crazy. We believe that the standard of care is just not good enough. We demand the best of ourselves and the best for our patients. We believe that the best way no the only way to practice dentistry is on our own terms if you ask the dental consultants or the corporate ceos they tell you that what we're doing isn't smart that fee-for-service dentistry is dead and that the golden age of dentistry is over yet while others focus on profits first we focus on the patient first and yet our offices are some of the most profitable in the entire country because we invest in ourselves and we are doing things right. It's our name on the door, and it's our reputation on the line. My name is Drew Burns, and I am a fee for service dentist. This is the Feed-for-Service Dentist Podcast, and these are our stories.
0: Welcome to the fee for service Dentist Podcast, Dr. Sunny Spirit. Today, I have a very special guest. This gal was online, and I kind of, I would hint to her, like, hey, why don't you come on? Hey, why don't you come on? So, with a little bit of prodding, but not much. We have Dr. Allison Kovach. I hope I pronounced that correctly. She is a Pennsylvania native. She recently moved from Boston back to her hometown of Erie, PA, to open up her fee-for-service startup. Let me repeat that, to open up her fee-for-service startup. Okay. After graduating from Mercyhurst with a BA in biology in 2005 and failing to... Getting accepted into dental school for two cycles in a row and without a plan B, she needs she, she knew she needed to do something more. So we got an achiever here. Okay, this is good. This led to her to moving to Boston to obtain a master's in medical science with a concentration concentration in oral health sciences from Boston University. Having never ventured far from hometown, she assumed it would. She would complete her master's and move back to PA for dental school, but she fell in love with the city and decided to stay for dental school at Boston University, where she graduated in 2012. She she is, uh, excuse me, and then she continued to live in Boston and practiced outside that city for about 10 years. She is, Dr. Allison is energized by CE, having a humble start in the profession. And now uh, you'd be humbled by people telling you that, yeah. that's for sure. It wasn't until about five years into practice, she began taking quality CE that have laid the foundation for how she wanted to practice the rest of her career. And we're going to get into that for sure.
1: The future of fee-for-service dentistry is based in membership patients. If you need help starting your membership plan, or if your plan is too big for your team to manage, visit dentalmembershipdirect.com to set up your free membership growth solution demo with our team.
0: She now takes about 100, 150 hours of CE. And you know, you need in New York State, you need, I think, 15 hours a year to do that. So she's doing 10 times the requirement in New York State. She's trained at COIS, Spear, the CEE, and IMPRES, which is Impress, and is excited to have her own practice where she can finally implement all of her great education she's had in the last few years. Love spending time outdoors. Prior to returning home to Erie, she spent most weekends doing coastal New England things. Now living in Lake Erie, she enjoys kayaking, paddleboarding, and cycling. Please welcome Dr. Allison Kovach. How are you doing?
2: I'm good. Thank you, Sunny. I'm excited to be here. I might actually be the OG listener to this podcast.
0: Oh, wow. <laughs>
2: I don't think I've missed an episode.
0: Oh, this is it. We are going old school. I like that. <laughs> I like that. So you, you, like you heard when I was a guest then, right? Yeah. 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 yeah I did pretty.
2: the whole Drew's building and all that. And you taking over. Yep. I've been here.
0: Do so you know it? All right. Well, you, you are much deeper in, in, than I am into this. So <laughs> that's great. Well, I'm glad I coached you to, into doing this. I love your history. I love the fact that like, I think people that are successful, nobody has a straight path. And you really have detailed it and I'm I mean I'm definitely gonna ask you how did you really commit to that like no plan B how did you how did you in your mind say, listen, this is what I'm gonna do and you ain't gonna tell me no yeah,
2: how, did that, how I,
0: did that happen?
2: I don't know. I think it was just because there was no there was no backup. it was I'm gonna be a dentist and there was no other option and it was funny because that was pressure. I put on myself, that wasn't my family. You know, they just said, get good grades, go to college, do whatever you want to do. My dad was a plumber. He owned his own plumbing company. My mom worked at a small gift shop. She still does. And uh, I think it was probably like high school, like senior year that I was like, I I thought for a long time I wanted to go into like psychiatry, psychology, never really had any desire to go to med school. Um, and then I was just kind of like, I don't know that I want to listen to people's problems all day. So I chose dentistry where you never hear about any, anyone's problems.
0: (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But I just remembered, you know, I always loved going to the dentist. I never knew that people didn't like going to the dentist. And when I was trying to pick a profession, I was thinking like, what is something that lets you, you know, be in a service industry where you're taking care of people, um, where you get to do something and it's not just writing a prescription and sending people on their way and you're using your hands and you're problem solving. Right. And then I just realized like, I've always really liked the dentist that kind of goes hand in hand. And that's kind of where it started. And, uh, yeah, it was that or, or bust basically.
0: <laughs> was Was anybody encouraging to you? other than family, like any, no,
2: I mean, I loved my, my dentist growing up, you know, as our family dentist forever. And when I was little, I used to make like little tooth crafts and like bring them into him. And, um, but it was never like, I didn't really shadow him. I never really shadowed anybody. Um, I think I went in maybe one time when I was in high school or like maybe early, early college where I spent a couple hours just kind of actually seeing what a dentist does <laughs> cuz i'd only been a patient you know Yeah. and um were you intimidated yeah. no i think i liked that it was so hands on you know i think it was just seeing somebody do so many different things in a short period of time um and that you were interacting with patients and like i said i mean that was our family dentist my whole family went to him and knowing that You know, he knew everything about us. We knew about him and his family. And just, I liked that connection. And I didn't know any other profession where you really got that.
0: Were you artsy?
2: Yes. Yeah.
0: Okay. So you got that, you got that, uh, well, I think it's that you got that right brain going. That's what, (laughs) yeah,
2: yeah, definitely the creative side and, you know, very, very detail oriented, you Uh know, meticulous. And that I think I get from my dad, you know, his, his job is very precise and growing up you know that's what that's why i just remember like doing a good job and never cutting corners and
0: i want to ask you more about that because to me like you know a plumber a dentist you know and especially if you're fee-for-service private practice you know he's he's a plumber he doesn't work for roto-rooter he's got his own plumbing business he's got his name so when he leaves a job it's his signature there talk about some of the things that he shared with you growing up that that you that still resonate with you there's got to be some things that you saw or you experienced or maybe now even more so doing your own thing
2: yeah for sure i uh it's funny i often say i'm like 50/50 my parents split right down the center sure and for sure the work ethic comes from my dad i mean my mom's a hard worker and she sure. you know is very detail oriented too but You know, growing up, I think I just saw how hard my dad worked. I mean, he worked seven days a week. If he was out on jobs or home bidding jobs and, you know, his office was in our house. So I remember being a little kid, you know, laying on the end of the bed while he's in his office, like telling him about my day and, you know, him falling asleep because it's the first time he's had a chance to sit down for the day. Um, But, you know, I think he built his reputation in town as being someone who was known for quality work was known for never cutting corners, always doing the right thing, standing behind what they do. Um, and that really shaped me and, you know, how I do everything. I mean, anyone that comes into my office, they're just like, there's so many little details. And to me, the details matter. Yes. We, you know, in our profession, we're at millimeters. So it's like yeah. the details really matter. Yeah, so yeah, that was a huge, huge thing. And my mom was definitely the, thoughtful one, the creative, you know, my dad's very creative too, but you know, the combination of them, I think, like I said, I'm a 50, 50 blend for sure.
0: Steve Razner, right? Everything matters or nothing matters. You decide. Yeah. <laughs> so did you ever, do you ever go with him on the job? Did, did, did you ever take an interest? Um, him?
2: I don't think so. I don't remember. I mean, I'm sure I kind of tinkered around here or there. I remember going to his shop, you know, when he moved it out of our house and just, like, thinking it was so cool, playing with all the parts and what whatnot. And, you know, I remember he always bring me home the, like, water heater boxes. And, you know, there's nothing better than making, like, a cardboard fort out of a water heater box when you're seven, you know? <laughs>
0: sure. Any little, like, any little special tips, like, hey, listen, don't overload inventory. Or, hey, listen, you're going to have trouble collecting. or Or just, like, an emergency, right? His emergencies and our emergencies are not terribly different. People are in distress, yeah. and they need you right now.
2: Yeah, uh, definitely, you know, inventory stuff. It was funny, even just, you know, he has retired. He's uh, kind of cherry picks a few things here and there. He sure. came out of retirement, obviously, to build a dental office this I year. I bet but,
0: you he loved it.
2: Uh, yeah, that was a good deal on my part. <laughs> um, it it's pride.
0: I mean, that's got to be yeah. one of the happiest moments of his life.
2: For sure. And it's nice for me. It feels special to me, too, right. you know, to work in a space that my dad was so, so much a part of. So. Yeah.
0: So that's um, personal. That's personal. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And um, it's funny too, which I'm sure we'll touch on. The building that i'm I'm renting in, that I built my space. Um, the landlord was actually my first boss that I ever had when I was fifteen. and there used to be a garden center at the plaza that I'm in that I used to work in when I was 15, like my very first job ever. And our windows overlook where the garden center used to be. So it's just this like funny full circle. But um, when I was ordering supplies for my office, you know, I had stored a ton of stuff at my dad's old shop. He still has the garage. Mm -hmm. And he's like, you know, look at all this. This is like six trucks worth of stuff. And he had to buy enough stuff. So each guy on his team had the whole stock, you know, on their truck. And he's like, all this stuff is just wasted. And I was like, yeah, you know, that's why I'm not stocking every room. That's why we do procedure tubs and You don't want all this stuff that expires. You know, it's one thing if it's a PVC pipe. It's another thing if it expires in six or twelve months or whatever the expiration it is, and Mm -hmm. you're throwing all that away. So that was definitely a kind of a fun, you know, his perspective, my perspective. But one of the things that he was always very surprised about, and you know, my dad being a small business owner, he never had dental insurance. He doesn't know what's involved with that. And when I was doing, you know, starting this process, and he's kind of talking to me about like oh, you know, when you get paid and how you do billing and whatnot. And I'm telling him, like, this is how insurance works. He's like, why does anybody sign up for that? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know. It doesn't make sense. So um, it was really interesting to see somebody who's a business owner's perspective, who has no idea, who's never dealt with insurance, um, and kind of see how they in like in put that into their profession and was just like, that's a terrible business mood. Why would you ever do something like that?
0: Look at saying, all yeah. the parallels, though. Look at all the parallels and yeah. the things that you said. No cutting corners, quality reputation. He He's, you know, basically a pillar in the community, and he's known for XXX, X, X, and you want to be known for YYY, y, y, which is the exact same thing just with dentistry, you know?
1: For sure, yep.
0: Yeah. So uh, it's like anybody who thinks they can't learn from another business is, is ridiculous. There's so Absolutely. much you can learn and transport and just, just make it your own, you know?
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So talk to me. So you went to Boston university. Talk talk to me about the moment when you said, all right, listen, I haven't gotten in You had two gap years, right?
2: Yeah. Yep. So I, I don't think I had any clue how to actually get into dental school. Mm -hmm. Um, I also, you know, high school was easy for me. I didn't have to study. I got A's like that was easy. College was a totally different animal and I did not, uh, it wasn't easy. And I didn't know what you had to excel in. I didn't know the timeline on things like when you should be taking the DAT and what your GPA, like I had, you know, just whatever the book was that they give you. That's like the averages, but you know, nobody told me you should be taking these DAT practice courses and things like that. That was never anything I knew. And, you know, nobody was on the internet that then, you know, not that they weren't on the internet, but the knowledge that we have and the access to these resources of like, I used this study with this, that was not a thing that, that community of knowledge wasn't there yet. And so my DAT scores were not that great. My GPA was okay, but you know when you're going up against the typical dental student applicant, I didn't compare. And I went to a very small liberal arts school, and we were on trimesters when I went to school there, which was weird to dental schools because to them it looked like I was taking less cra- less classes, right. and in actuality I was taking more, but they didn't count the labs. Otherwise we'd graduate early. So it was just a very it was a like a there wasn't one shining star on, on my application, I don't think. <laughs> and um, so after I graduated that following year, I went to Gannon, took a couple of courses there that weren't offered at Mercyhurst, and thought maybe that will make my application better. And then I applied again. And I was, I mean, I think I was waitlisted. I think my first application cycle I was waitlisted at temple. And the guy called and said, you know, if One person doesn't show up, we'll call you. You're the next in line. But I never got that call. And it's okay, because I wasn't meant to go there. (laughs) When
0: you're waitlisted, they're telling you, you're no longer inferior, you could do this.
2: Sure. I think it was mostly because I was an in-state person, and they knew I could hop on a plane and be there. But (laughs) I don't know that they had that much belief in me, because... The following year I didn't even get an I didn't even get an interview. So
0: okay. All right. Yeah.
2: So um yeah, I applied this the following year, didn't get an interview. Um, I think I just got rejections across the board. And now I'm like, okay, you know, what do I do? Like there was no, like I said, there was no plan B. There wasn't anything I could even remotely picture myself doing other than being a dentist. And so I started hold, hold
0: hold on right there. How did that become so deeply rooted in you?
2: I don't, I think once I decide something, like it, it's done. Like I, I'm all in. You know, like most know... people.
0: Most people nowadays, they get hit once, they're done. They move on. Like you have a girl tries out for a, ba- a basketball team in eighth grade. She gets cut. She's not going to come out her sophomore freshman year. They're just not going to do it. I've been told I'm not good enough. They. That it's very rare that you have a person who can deal with one hiccup, let alone two. And now almost three, because you're going to another program, right? Oh, for sure. I God bless you. I mean, you are a throwback in every way. That's awesome. Because resiliency is what's going to carry you through pandemics, economic bad things, insurance company abuse, any of that stuff. You're going to be like, listen, I'm above that.
2: Yeah. I think in my heart, I knew that this was what I was supposed to do. Like, I knew that something about me is I can relate to people. I can make people feel calm and connected to. And I knew, I mean, I didn't know the first thing about placing a filling or tooth anatomy, but I knew that I could do something good. And I knew that this was what I was supposed to be doing. I don't know why, but you know, that's what I decided and there was no turning back. Um, Yeah. So
0: there was no real seminal moment. There was no like epiphany.
2: No, I never had any like you know. I just listened to one of the podcasts where the doctor you know had had this like horrible tooth pain or whatever. Yeah. Nope, I, that, like was yeah, Sonia, yeah, yeah, Sonia. Yeah. Um, right. So I just I don't know. I just that's what I decided. I think you know early on I always thought like oh I'll be an orthodontist and everything's so colorful and organized and you know then I that was a short lived phase. But yeah, I just once I knew that that's what it was. It, I don't know. Everything just clicked and and there was no turning back from there.
0: Now, when you went to the medical sciences, master's in medical sciences, right? Did you have a a shoe in for the dental school at Boston University? Was there a was there like a greased kid there? Yes.
2: Yeah, so how did that it,
1: part happened.
2: It's supposed to be somewhat of a pipeline program. Um, the year that I enrolled, it was only the second year in creation, so it was not a guarantee. Um, the first year, the year ahead of me. I think the majority of the students got accepted. Maybe all but one or two didn't. It's a small class. I mean, I want to say there was eight people in the first class, maybe not even, um, and only a couple people didn't get in and they kind of continued. I think they ended up doing like a, uh, you had the option to do like a library thesis or like an actual laboratory thesis. Gotcha. And I think they went to the laboratory thesis, reapplied, and then they got in. So it wasn't a guarantee and it was terrifying because you were not allowed to get lower than a B. Otherwise you were kicked out of the program and it was $50,000. So here I am taking a, signing a check for 50,000, you know, a loan for $50,000 knowing that I did okay, but not great in college. This is my last shot. It's wicked expensive Uh, I have to get no lower than a B and, you know, it, this is make or break it. If this doesn't happen, then I'm not getting into dental school and I don't know what, where there is from here. So um, yeah, packed my stuff, moved to Boston. Um, I remember the first, so interesting, the year that I did it, like I said, it was only the second year it was, um, it was happening and they had, I think three of us maybe f- three, I think, that we're taking a couple classes on the med school side. And our first course that we were taking was biochemistry. And now I'm taking basically med school biochemistry. Um, And I remember the first exam, I got up in the middle of the test to go throw up because I knew that I was failing the test. And I was like, this is like, I've I've blown it. You know, I've wasted all this money. I might as well just like quit and go home what was I thinking? And I remember after the test, you have all these like pre-med, med med students, and they're all talking about like, oh, it was so easy and blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking like, oh my God, like I'm way out of my league here. And I remember driving, or I was on the bus home and uh, my folks called and like, how did it go? Are you going to treat yourself to a Starbucks? And I just remember crying and saying like, I don't even deserve a Starbucks. (laughs) I can't treat myself. I failed, you know, and I was just like sick to my stomach for three days. Long story short, everybody else failed, and so they curved it, and I ended up with a C on the test, which was fine. I, like, aced the next one, and the instructor was like, this is the most, you know, impressive turnaround I've seen, and she ended up writing me an incredible letter of recommendation, which aided into me getting accepted to dental school. But, yeah, that was the uh, rough start to the bio uh, medical master's program. Just there.
0: describe the average social media post. yeah. Where- Everybody, oh, this was great. It was easy. I can do this. Oh, yeah, I do that every day. I do full mouth recap, ba 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 And then you're like, oh my god, I am way out of my league. Yeah. Yeah. Guess what? It's all yep. fantasy. It's yep. It's real. the highlight reel. Yeah, it's not real. <laughs> yeah,
2: that's, that's absolutely.
0: Real oh my gosh. Well, God bless. I mean, this is this is your story is truly inspiring. I love this. <laughs> I, if there's no other reason to host this podcast, it's to meet people like yourself and hear your stories and just really appreciate how each person gets where they get or goes where they go or just has their path. You know, so your it's, it's just a, like your path is really interesting. So now you get into dental school. Did you have any of those other moments? At this point, you had to be really sure of yourself. Listen, no matter what life throws me, I'm getting through this.
2: Yeah, it was definitely, I will say, you know, it was, it, it set the trajectory where I just kind of accepted that like, I don't get the easy hand, you know, it's going to be a work, it's going to be a struggle for me. And I'm going to have to work for it. And like, we'll get it in the end. Like, that's like, you know, I would say my motto, not intentionally, but just historically. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, when I got in, so the rest of the program was fine. You know, we passed, no problems. Um, got accepted. So it was like a year and a half program, basically. So I got accepted the following year and I had maybe like six months off in between uh, before starting dental school. Um, and during that time, I ended up working for the Department of Public Health Dental Dentistry for Boston University. So just like a short stint there between the master's program and actually starting school. But I felt pretty good going into dental school, having finished that program. Like I knew that I didn't have to worry about failing out of dental school. <laughs> like I felt like if I could do that program and I had to get grades that were a yeah. B or above, I knew that there wasn't, I didn't have to worry about failing out. So but, got, I mean, it's still so, stressful.
0: So now you got four years. So you got a $50,000 note already. Mm-hmm. I don't know what your undergrad was, but Mercyhurst, I know, is a little better for in-state than it is out-of-state. Um, still, you got four years undergrad, you got some classes at Gannon, you got this. Now you got dental school, which at Boston University is not inexpensive, as well as no. the cost of living in Boston. Yeah, absolutely. So, so what does it look like when you graduate? What's your debt look like?
2: So, yeah, this is a fun story too. Um, so I graduated. I want to say with I think I finished with 370,000 in debt. And I didn't take out the full loan every year. Um, 11 I lived years in ago,
0: a... folks. This is in 2012. This is 11 years ago. 370,000 dollars 11 years ago is probably at least 450, if not closer to 5 now. So, anyway. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Um, so I, like I said, I didn't take out the full loan every year. Um, I had, I worked since I was 15. So I did have some savings. Um, I lived in a shoebox studio apartment that whole time. So I, you know, rent was expensive for the shoe box, but relatively low for Boston. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't have a car. I didn't have a lot that I spent money on. So that was getting out good. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, what was interesting though, is my first, I would say five years out of school, I mean, my first, well, going back my first really like three to four years out of school, I could paying the interest was a struggle. And that was, you know, income contingent. So I think my loan payments were maybe around 1100 a month. But my rent was, you know, at that point, I moved to a one bedroom. So I think my rent was Start at like eighteen, and then up to like twenty three hundred a month. So,
0: so um, in your loans, your loans. You said you paid interest only
2: initially, yeah. But what is funny is by the time I, from when I graduated till about year five, paying you know eleven to twelve hundred every month, my loan was now up to four hundred and forty some thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't even touching the prints. I wasn't touching anything. Yeah. And so I was paying all that every year. And it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I was like, this is terrifying. Like, how- what do you even do with this?
0: If you're Italian, you were just paying the big.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so I think it was like right around, I think, my fifth year of practice where, you know, some of these refinancing things started to come into play. And I remember reaching out to one of the companies that's like pretty well known and they're like, your debt is too high. We won't refinance you. The only debt I have, Sonny, is student loan debt. I don't have any credit card debt. No other right. like, nothing pending. But the student loan debt was so high they wouldn't refinance my student loan. And I was like, Are you kidding me? Uh. <laughs> and they're like, Well, you can't make the payments. And I'm like, I but I am already making those payments. So it was very weird. Long story short, we ended up at, actually having to like, we did like a reverse mortgage kind of thing and so now i paid that as my student loan essentially but that's how we got to a better interest rate and um a, a better payment and now i'm actually seeing you know now and i'm 11 years into practice my loan is down to i want to say 370 so i've made no progress in 11 years <laughs>
0: oh my you're back yeah to- okay
2: yeah, exactly. Right.
0: So, so what, what kind of what you graduate dental school? What kind of job do you end up taking? Because, what, what you know, like your cost of living. You've already said now it's it's not t- for Boston. That's not bad.
2: No, it wasn't so, initially.
0: Yeah, but, but so should your income be a little bit, re- you know, relative to the area. You should you should be up there. You should be on the higher side of average. For, for...
2: yeah, I've never been on the higher side of average as it turns yeah. out. Um, So my first job, I actually felt very lucky coming out of school. Um, I knew I didn't want to do a residency. I started school a little bit later. Um, I went into school knowing I didn't want to do a residency, knowing that I needed to get as much out of that experience as I could. You're going to squeeze
0: that. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Exactly. And so I started looking for private practice positions. Um, So in Massachusetts, they have a lot of offices that they call mass health offices. They take the Uh, mass health insurance. It's a government insurance. And when you come out as a new grad, that's pretty much what's available to you. Um, Even when I graduated, DSOs weren't super heavy. There was a couple local ones like Dental Dreams or something like that was a big one. Yeah,
0: they're just picking up momentum now, but
2: yeah. Yeah, yeah. and um, so I was very fortunate that one of our faculty members at school had opened um, an office, I think the year before. And he's like, I remember you, you stood out in clinic. Um, how do you want to, how do you feel about working at this office as a general dentist? It's all the specialists under one roof. You can treat it as your own residency. You can do whatever you want to do. You cannot do whatever you want to do. We're here over your shoulder if you need us. And I was like, this sounds amazing. It was a brand new office, like sign me up. And I couldn't have been excited to me. That was, you know, my dream job at the time.
0: What what um, was what your pay look like? What kind of what kind
2: of so bad. Um, I this is definitely, I mean, I think after a full year in that office, I was thinking, what have I gotten myself into? Like this is not what I expected dentistry right. to be. I spent I mean, so many nights on my front porch on my stoop, just crying because I couldn't even pay my bills. And all my bills were my rent and my student loan. And I'm like, I'm 30 years old. I'm a dentist. This isn't how it's supposed to be. Like, what what happens? Like, how am I here? And so that office, since it was primarily a mass health office, the reimbursement was so low. I think a filling was $50, maybe. And I didn't even do extractions, but they were like $50 as well. So, I mean, you can't make, how do you make money? And then you're getting a percentage of that as an associate. So. Uh, income was very low. I don't even think I came my first year. I want to say I honestly, it was so long. I, I didn't come anywhere close to even making a hundred thousand, um, which in five Boston, days a week, five days a week. Actually, I even worked six days a week when I first started. So, yep. So I was not, I was making no money and you that kind of,
0: we can free the slaves. <laughs>
2: So, um, the, I stayed there, you know, it was a, it was a nice office. The team was wonderful. I got a lot of experience. Um, I got to work. I wonder work
0: what your hourly service. broke down to. If you think. Oh, it
2: was bad. I could have worked at the grocery store. I could have worked at, you know, star market for more money. Many a days. Yeah. Many a days that wow. I make like less than $20 an hour. It was but I'm
0: getting to know you. This is just, this is not going to stop you. So, okay. So how are you there for how long? Two years.
2: I was there for three years. Yeah. Three years. Yeah.
0: Did did you see any increase in your wages?
2: Yeah, a bit. Um, I mean, obviously, as I got faster and more proficient. um,
0: Did your speed really pick up?
2: I mean, yeah, it was busy. It was a busy office. So
0: I'm sure um, it was. But did your personal speed pick up?
2: It did. Yeah, it definitely did. And one of the things, you know, it was a great office. It was primarily in a Spanish speaking community. And I only knew enough Spanish to get through a dental appointment. So that was another thing that really weighed heavily on me in terms of like why I just felt so disconnected was sure. that I wasn't able to have the conversations with patients. I wasn't able to make the connections yeah, that I wanted
0: there's, to yeah, there's, it's the Yeah, it's the hardest thing in the world when you can't speak the language or you can't connect on a human level. That's the most frustrating Absolutely. Thing. I did the yep. implant course in Dominican Republic and you wanted to say. I'm I'm here. I can help you. I just relax. I got you, you know, and you're like, you know, hand signals only go so far, you know, like,
2: yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. So it got to the point where I just felt like, you know, a pair of hands on an assembly line and, um, you know, I was naive. I, um, I went from there to a, an office that was kind of like a local DSO, um, so it was owned by a local guy who owns maybe about 20 offices in the area when I started and was just growing and growing from there. Um, the that office was an out-of-network office. So they accepted insur- insurance they had the co-pays, um, but they were getting, you know, their fee essentially. And well, what that was, was your, th-
0: what was your arrangement there? And were you the only doc in the office?
2: No, I got brought on, so they had a specialist leave. There were two other general dentists and they brought me on full-time and they did not need me full-time. They needed me two days a week. So again, I'm sitting there not making any income, uh, being told that like, hey, we need you so badly. And there wasn't enough patients there to, like I said, even support really more than two days a week there. And I was there four days a week, I think. Um, So that office though was definitely kind of where I started to see a difference in how you could practice uh, because the other general dent- so it was a multi-specialty practice as well. Um, and the other general dentists there, they were doing bigger things. They were doing things that I had never, I thought were only things that specialists could do. And, you know, they're talking about let's do this spear study club and let's do this course. And I was just like, what's a spear? Like what's a coice? I don't know what, what this is. And, um, so that's when I kind of started to see that there's, there's different ways to do dentistry and yes, you there have, is. yeah, a totally different mindset and the care that you provide people. And it's not, you know, the office that I started at when I first started there, mass health didn't cover fillings. So if a person needed a filling, they would say, no, even if it was an occlusal and they would say, I just want my tooth pulled. And you're just like, I what the heck, you know? And then the difference is, you come to an office where people don't—not that they don't care what the insurance pays, but it wasn't the first thing on their mind. And so that's when I started to do bigger cases and more involved dentistry, and joined a study club. And that's when I started to realize, like, oh my gosh, like this is exciting. Like this is what it's supposed to be. Um, you know, so at this point, I my compensation arrangement there was i think just a percentage of collections um but there was a lot of other stuff too like they made you pay the credit card fees and like silly stuff like that and you were a 1099 um so you had to run your own payroll and like it was you had to yeah. pay your assistant no, luckily I didn't have to pay my assistant. Yeah.
0: Well, you weren't, you weren't a 1099. That's... I was
2: not a 1099. Yeah. Yeah. So what,
0: what did your income look like? It had to be better. Cause you said you're doing more complicated cases. Either.
2: Yeah, it was definitely better. Um, you know, it was still so hit or miss though. You know, so one month might be a yeah, great feast month.
0: Or
1: famine.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Feast or famine. Exactly. Um, so it was very inconsistent. Um, I basically, I was still living paycheck to paycheck. Cause you didn't know, you didn't know what the next month was going to bring. Um, so it wasn't until my third job, which was my final job in Massachusetts, um, that I had a guaranteed base salary and like, what a luxury. <laughs> and it was one of those things where, you know, my friend kept on saying like, be careful of the golden handcuffs. And at first, like that just it was so annoying to me. It's like, you know, it's not golden handcuffs. I like it here and you know, whatnot. And But it's like, you know, when you know that you need to grow and do something different, but you finally have that security of, I don't have to worry about paying my rent. I don't have to worry about paying my loans. This is nice. Um, It is definitely hard to make those big decisions, like, you know, packing up your life and moving to a different Mm -hmm. state. So uh, that was the, and that was, um, I think I was five years into practice when I, five or six years into practice when I joined that office. So that was the first time that I had any security financially. And that was when I could first start investing in some CE courses. Because prior to that, it was like, you know, we had Yankee Dental that rolled around once a year. And that's where I'd go. And, you know, coughing up $400 for a course was too much. So... You know, well, looking at it. What did
0: your income look like at that point? What were you, What were you finally making it? So
2: I want to say I probably was getting a little bit closer to um, probably a little closer to 200, okay. still a bit under, um, but somewhere in that range between probably like 170 to 200.
0: So what did you do now with that Delta? Because you, you're you still, your living expenses are still very low. So did you start knocking, did you start paying debt? Did Well, that doesn't sound like you did, but did you start to, where, where did where did you start to invest some of your money?
2: Yeah. So um, a kind of a big, I mean, over these years now, my rent is creeping up. And so my, and then, like I said, I was able to refinance my loan. So okay. my loan payment went from being like, like I said, 1200 to now like 2400. So mm-hmm. as my rent went up, the loan payment went up. Um, So then it was really kind of, you know, paying some of that down, not much, you know, because I didn't, to, you know, you hear that like, oh, student loan debt is good debt, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then knowing that kind of in the back of my mind, I always knew I wanted to do some kind of office, uh, some kind right. of practice on my own. So yeah, starting so, to kind of so, put something aside. Right.
0: yeah, Put some money for aside for like a down payment or whatnot. Right.
2: Yeah, so exactly.
0: Position, Okay.
2: Yeah. So. Yeah. And I, I'm still renting at that point. And, you know, it's like, I'd like to have a home at some point. I'd like to have, you know, real adult things at this point.
0: <laughs> so when did you decide, Hey, I want, I want to, I want to, I want to own.
2: Well, I kind of knew very early on. I mean, I even, my, I would say I was probably two and a half years into practice and I started looking to, into doing a startup in Boston. Okay. And uh I found a space. I didn't know anything about the bar. That was a oh. waste of money. Yeah. You want to know where my money went? It went into that that uh red flag city. <laughs> um, so I found a space and I went through all the like steps. I didn't get the loan or anything yet, but I had, you know, the pre approval and we were going through lease negotiation and all the lawyer stuff. Um, but Boston's a very hard city to do a startup in. Um there's a lot of like union construction, which is very expensive and not really doable with a startup budget. And long story short, the landlord showed his true colors luckily before we signed any papers. And I kind of walked from that deal. Uh, but that that came with a hefty, that was an expensive learning opportunity for sure. Um, but that, like I said, that was maybe like two and a half, three years into, into practice that I started to think like I want my own thing, you know, I want to do it my way. And but at that time, and I'm glad it fell through because I would have built a six-chair office and taken every insurance under the sun because I didn't know any better.
0: But you had that, but you had that experience that you felt like, hey, this is different.
2: That was prior to this. Yeah. Or I would say this was prior to that. So it was before I after this kind of fell through, is when I then changed position, changed jobs and moved to the other office that was the out of network office. So I hadn't had that experience
0: yet. Oh, okay. But but so it's good you had this. So let's wrap up the Boston experience. At what point are you saying, "and this isn't going to be for me"? And and what what was the draw? I know home is home, but what was you were attracted to Boston? You now have really laid down some roots. I think at this point, how is it now? You got to lay, you got to cut those ties, and now move. What was what was that like? What what made that decision happen?
2: Yeah. So I think, you know, obviously like for many people, COVID was a big turning point. Um, you know, we were shut down and I remember once we realized it was going to be more than two weeks, I ended up packing up my car and just heading back home because two weeks in the middle of the city of Boston was enough for me to be like, this is weird. You know, you can't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. You're stuck inside. And again, I had a little shoebox apartment and, um, So I came home and just having, you know, a driveway, (laughs) a garage, a yard, freedom, a little bit of space. Um, When I came back to Boston, you know, things were still slow to ramp up and there was no traffic and you could drive, you know, I always worked about about an hour, you know, plus outside of the city. So I always had this commute. And then now not really having a commute and being able to come home and not have to fight with Red Sox traffic and park my car. And it was really nice. And I started to get a taste of like what life outside of the city would be like. And um, so
0: some qu- some big quality of life changes.
2: For sure. Yeah. And um, when things started to go back to normal, I just didn't have I didn't have the patience for anymore. I was like, I was so tired of sitting in my car. I was so tired of hunting for a parking spot. Um all the things that you know it, it's tough living in a city. Everything's harder. You know, you have to bring your groceries up 5 flights of stairs and there's no elevator cuz they're all old buildings and um so five I started story to
0: think, walk up. I live Yeah,
2: in- exactly. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um
2: so I started to think, okay, I'm never going to have the things in life I want. I'm never going to be able to have a house and a yard uh if I continue to live in the city. But what I loved about Boston was Boston. It was living in the city. And so it was like, well, if I move out of the city, I'm truly just picking a spot on a map and saying, I'll live here now. And it's like, I don't have any ties to that place. And like most of my friends had moved out of Boston at this point, like they're still kind of around Boston. But the only thing tying me to the city was that I genuinely love the city and it was my routine and it had been my home for 15 years. And so when I was like, well, if I'm going to move out of the city... I should, what's keeping me from moving back home. And, you know, we live right on the lake. It's beautiful in the summer. There's so much nice outdoor space and freedom and cost of living is a complete 180 from Boston. And I started to think, you know, if the kind of dentistry I do and the type of office I want, it doesn't exist in my hometown. Like my hometown is, you know, still a lot of older offices, um, docs, a lot of docs that are nearing retirement. And I was like, you know, the kind of dentistry I do, it's quite common in Boston. You know, everybody's used to that kind of more, you know, boutique hands-on approach, but it doesn't exist here. And I thought, wow, how nice to kind of bring that back to my hometown and, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of carry on almost like, you know, my dad's legacy, but in my own way. And so I started to kind of look into it. And then, like I said, you know, it kind of came full circle when our, uh, my, you know, first boss ever, who happened to be the landlord, was like, Hey, I'm gonna start, you know, getting ready to retire here. And uh I have all the space that I don't need. He's an attorney. And he's like, You can have some of the space if you'd like. And that's kind of where wheels went into motion.
0: Okay. So what did you see? What what did you strategize for your own practice? And then what it what did it materialize into?
2: So I knew, and I think, you know, that was kind of the nice thing about practicing for as many years as I had prior to opening my office. I had a pretty clear vision of what I wanted. I know really well who I am as a doctor. I have no problem saying I am a restorative only doctor. I don't do extractions. I don't do root canals. I do restorative. Yeah. And that's
0: after, my after shucking all those teeth for three after, years? Yeah.
2: <laughs> I never said I did that shucking well. <laughs> I shucked oysters better than uh, teeth, for sure. Okay. Um, so yeah, I just, uh, I didn't like it. It brought me so much stress and anxiety to extract teeth. And, you know, I worked with people who were so fabulous at it. So to me, it was like, why would I ever take your money and subject you to an hour in my chair to like stressfully get this tooth out? When literally you can see the person in the room next door, and they can get out in five minutes and less with less trauma, so I started to just feel like it. It didn't feel good to me. To okay, do that.
0: so and you're going to have else. a restorative yeah. only practice. You're referring out a lot of the ex auxiliary things, so your endos, yep. uh, your implants.
2: Yep, I don't place them. Yeah, I feel like if you can't pull teeth, you probably should place them.
0: So place. Your oral surgery, your, your implantology, your... Endodontics. Okay, so you're, you know, I'm not going to call it a bread and butter, but you're doing your restorative work. So,
2: absolutely.
0: So that was your vision. That was what you. That was
2: my vision. Yep. I knew I wanted about, you know, I felt like the sweet spot was four chairs, but I wanted the ability to go to five if I really needed it, or if I wanted to bring in a specialist at some point.
0: So, how many square footage did you take?
2: So, right now, like I said, so I was able to take over a portion of the law firm. So. I want to say my square footage is um, a little under. We have a little bit of shared space, so it's around like fourteen hundred square feet with okay. some of the Would you
0: share sure, like a reception area?
2: Um, we share a front entryway. There's a optician next door, so we share okay. a front entryway with the optician, and we have a shared restroom space in the back.
0: Okay, well, yeah, well, um, the history makes makes sense, really.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, um, we'll be able to expand when he fully retires to the rest easy. of the space. Uh, the landlord, the uh, the um, attorney. Oh,
0: well, you're gonna buy the building then, right?
2: No, it's because it's part of a plaza, so I won't be able to buy the building, but I'll be able to expand into the, yeah, into his space. And but honestly, my rent's so cheap that like, I can't even be upset about it. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I will be able to expand into his space and that will give us the room to grow to five ops if we want it. But truthfully, I hope to always keep one as my like consult photo studio.
0: All right. So what did you do to make day one work for you? What did you do? What was, what was, talk about what did you do to build up that practice? Cause you're, you're starting from zero.
2: Yeah, which was crazy because, you know, I have this following of people in Boston, and I'm like, why am I making this so much harder on myself? Right. That's I, what I mean, I mean just, you're yeah.
0: what you, you, you've spent 11 years, and you're going to have some relationship at some point. Now, here you go. You're off to a brave new world. So yeah. what, what was it? Um,
2: I will say I haven't done enough. That's for sure. I definitely, uh, you know, I need to be getting more info out about us. But prior to opening, I just started sharing my story on social media. So on Facebook and Instagram, um, I would try to post pretty regularly about you know construction updates and you know different things that we're offering, and that got a lot of leads. You know, most of our patients have come from social media at this point. Um, I did do so. Like, you're
0: so you're doing like this is what this is what's in the works. This is who I yeah. am. This is this is what we're gonna. What's the name of your practice?
2: Erie Dental Company.
0: Erie, Erie Dental, Dental, Dental Company EDC. So we're gonna we're gonna. This is what we're gonna be. And then, you know, this is coming soon and you're getting, so you're trying to generate a little excitement, a little buzz, right? A little word yeah. of mouth, word yeah. of, viral word of mouth. Okay. So that, yeah. that's, did you have like your phone number and website? Did you have all this stuff, prior?
2: Yep. Yeah, yeah. We had a phone number. Um, we did the, you know, VoIP service. So they let you have the phone number before you even opened. We set up an email um, so people could kind of request. I, they just replied on social media. So I kind of kept the list going. Uh-huh. Um, And I think we had, you know, maybe... I don't know, maybe 20 some people on our like VIP list. Okay. I didn't want to do like the you know new patient special or the free no. whatever.
0: That cheapens um, everything.
2: Exactly. So what I did in my office, because I wanted to come up with something that would give people some incentive, but also require them to continue to come to us. So I did um like a VIP special for our first 50 patients um where it, when they came in for their appointment, they would be automatically enrolled in our like whitening club. So as long as they maintained their routine cleanings and recommended dental care, they would get custom bleach trays and a free tube of bleach at every cleaning. So the only way to get that is to continue coming and being a patient here. Um, And I think what was really, I think what got people excited was The transparency of the office, like getting to see that behind the scenes of the office. And that's even, you know, one of the core values that we set is like we are transparent, which is also why we don't work with insurance (laughs) because you can't be transparent.
0: (laughs) How many core values do you have? Because you got them written down, don't you?
2: I do. I don't have them off the top of my head, but um, transparency, um, details, wellness. We probably have, I would say, probably five or six.
0: Do do them on your own? Somebody help you with that.
2: Nope. I came out with them on my own. Um, we kind of, so I brought my team on a month before we started seeing patients. I'd only intended it to be about two weeks, but, um, it turned into about a month of training and team building and setting up the office. And,
0: um, what did you hire knowing that you got maybe 50 patients to start? How many people?
2: Yeah. So I brought on, um, so I kind of set the office that we, I equipped three chairs to start. Um, because I wanted to be ready for growth. I didn't want to have to, you know, fumble with that. So I set up three chairs to start and I set up everything with the intention of there's a good chance I might have to do everything by myself. So I made sure that I had dry shields and, you know, relief system, like things like that, that I could work independently if I had to. Um, There was a lot of... I don't know like interviewing is so interesting and you know everybody talks about it that like nobody shows up and it's like I just don't it's I don't know something what I you can't
0: mean like we had an interviews scheduled last week and two people showed yeah, up
2: it's bet. just yeah. the strangest thing to me hmm? um but I was very fortunate I had a so you know a big part of the practice is growth like obviously I'm somebody who values continuing to grow and like uh, you know, assessing where you can improve in life and, and continue to move forward. And what I was finding was there were so many people that just like, they didn't care, you know, like you could tell it was just a job to them. And I was very fortunate that I had a girl apply. She's an expanded functions assistant. And I have never, uh, we don't have, we didn't have EFTAs in Massachusetts. So I didn't know, like, I don't know anything about it. Um. So it's, and I told her straight up, I was like, I don't know how I feel about you placing fillings. Um, I've been doing this 11 years and I take all the CE every year. Like, I I don't know, like we're gonna have to ease into that. Um, But what I liked so much about her was you could see that she valued growing in this profession. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that, you know, she was just an assistant and she's done the same old thing all these years in a row. Um, So just seeing that she had gone from assisting to EFTA to training at the scheduling institute, to being able to do like OSHA and HIPAA stuff. And she's studying some kind of like holistic Ayurveda wellness thing. So I was very impressed by how much she wanted to grow and like clearly valued learning. So I felt like right off the bat, that was a good fit. Um, ironically, we had gone to high school together. Uh, we didn't know each other, my high school was huge. So we weren't friends and didn't really know each other. So it's funny, like, you know, kind of reuniting in this, in this realm. And I did hire, um, she's our front desk. She's our official titles, patient coordinator. But she actually came from Starbucks. She has no dental background. Um, Perfect. Yeah, she...
0: Customer relations.
2: Exactly. Just really great with people. Easy talking with people. Um, She told me, I said, you know, what's the shift? Because she'd been there for six years and she was a shift supervisor. So she had kind of grown in the company. I mean, obviously Starbucks, like talk about benefits. Like I can't compete with that as a, as a startup, but she said, you know, it it didn't really matter to her. What she wanted was a career. She's 31 and she wanted to feel like she had a profession, Mm -hmm. um, and feel like she could continue growing. And so she's been a good fit. And honestly, her having no dental background has been a huge asset.
0: What did (laughs) your, what did your first month look like on, what did, now, well, let me ask you this before I get to that. That's my first question on, on that part. But what did you have to borrow to set up the office?
2: Um, so I believe my final all-in for the loan, and I went a little bells and whistle because it was like this is my dream office. I'm only doing this once, um, so I think all in, I ended up around like six hundred and twenty-five thousand. Six
0: twenty-five plus the three seventy.
2: By student loan, yeah, yeah, student loan is still three. So
0: you're you're over a million.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. So you're a million dollars in debt. Okay. Yeah. Is there any way? No, I was going to say there's any way to combine the student into the other one, but that's not. So okay, so now you, what's your monthly debt service?
2: So we are very fortunate that our monthly break even is not as high as I would say the average dental office. Um, right now our, um, break even is, I wrote it down. Um, it's about, it's a little over 12,000.
0: 12,000 for the month? For the month. That's, that's all that debt service?
2: Oh, well, so my, okay. That's excluding my student loans. Okay. So I'm, I still am working as an associate actually in Ohio. Okay. So I work three days a week at an associateship job to pay my, personal bills.
0: So I don't oh, have gotcha. to tap in from okay. the office. All right. So, so we, you need yeah. 12 to keep the lights on. Huh?
2: We need 12 to keep the lights on. Yep. Yeah. And right and now, this,
0: how many days in your office three?
2: So I'm in my office two full days and then I do two hours on Thursday morning. So two days and two hours.
0: Okay. And your, your team is good with that for their work.
2: They are there the rest of the week. So I want them there answering phones. I mean, there's still so much to be setting up and kind of, Okay. Kind of putting, you know, the dotting the Ts or crossing the Ts and dotting. How the long
0: have you been startup then? How long has it been?
2: So they came on in May, uh, for like I said, about a month of training.
0: May our 2022.
2: Patient, yep, our first patient was June. Um, our first month we collected. Um, so our production was eleven thousand three hundred and fifty five. Okay. But I did see quite a few friends and family. So <laughs> our collections ended up being about eight thousand. So we were at about a thirty six hundred dollars deficit okay. from breaking even
0: all right. So that's your first, month. So, first we're, month. so by the way, this is being recorded in about the middle of July. So this is July seventeenth. Have and so now you got a little bit of July under your belt. Is it looking like things are trending on the up for you, or what's it look like?
2: Yeah, so we were um. As of right now, I think we have ten thousand dollars on the books, um, scheduled. So we'll see if I everybody. Mean, so keeps...
0: month to date so far.
2: Correct. Um, I think for the entire month, yes. So okay. everything on the month for the month is gotcha. scheduled at ten thousand. But we do okay. still have openings. Um, and yeah, so I'm hoping that we'll get a little bit even closer this month to the break even. Right.
0: So, so what are your concerns right now then? What 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 are the things that you're what are your things that you got, you're going to, you're going to overcome? What are those things?
1: <laughs> so I have nice. no doubt
0: about it. I, I, if, <laughs> if, if I'm buying stock, I'm buying stock in you. So
2: Well, thank you. Um, Yeah. So I would say, you know, new patients, it's, we had 24 new patients our first month, which was pretty good. Um, But like I said, a lot, a lot of friends and family there. Um, So I get very nervous that I'm not doing enough. Cause I'm not, and I know that I'm not doing enough to generate new patients. My mark, what I'm doing for marketing is, is minimal at this point, uh, non-existent actually. And even like, pay- I don't know why it's so hard to post something on social media, but it's, I just, there's not enough hours in the day for sure. Um, so that I would say is my biggest concern is, you know, just getting people in. I will say that people that we've had in have been wonderful. Like we have had such great patients And it's such a difference when people are choosing you, like they are coming to your office because they want to be part of your office. And so that's been really neat to actually see come to life. Um, But yeah, so getting people in and now, you know, the just the conversation of like people realizing like, Oh, they're not going to get reimbursed a hundred percent for their cleaning. And then they call and then they take, they want to take themselves off the books so it's like you get excited because you're like, great, we have these patients calling. Wonderful. We go through a whole song and dance. And, you know, if people kind of um, are concerned about like, oh, well, how much will it be reimbursed? You know, we basically say we don't know 100%. Um, they usually won't cover everything. If you'd really like to know what your insurance is going to pay, we'd be happy to send you the codes and you can call them and find out. Um, and so sometimes they do. Sometimes they end up not caring. But every once in a while, that turns into a call back or a text message back saying, um, you know, I, I don't want to pay. It's too much. Take me off the schedule. So, you know, it's kind of like a little blow to your ego. But then at the end of the day, you just have to remember, like, that's not your patient. You know, that's that's the insurance. I like to I forget who it was, but. Yeah, that was a good best. one. That
0: was Benjamin. Benjamin said it yeah, yeah, yeah. was really neat. That was spot good, on. Good to me. like, whoa, that's a pretty good.
2: Yeah. Sums it right up. I've always just, to me, insurance is marketing. That's it. That's just your yeah. name and getting people in your door for no other reason than you're on an, on a list. And you know, that's again, it doesn't go with my core value of transparency. But so yeah, that's a big one. And honestly, just managing, you know, it's it's not my wheelhouse. It's not any of our wheelhouses. And I think I'm being direct. I think that I'm, you know, setting goals and it's just like, how are we not getting stuff done? (laughs) Like, why is everything taking so long? Um, So I know I have a lot to work on, on that. And I'm, I'm fortunate that I have friends in the industry who have managerial backgrounds who I can kind of pick their brains on things. But yeah, I just, you know, you always hope that your team members will stay with you, but then it's like, well, am I being too lenient? Am I not being lenient enough? Like, I don't know
0: how to walk that line. What's your your goal? What's your goal by the end of the year? Do you want to cut down your out-of-office hours? Come back to... Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, my goal, I would love by the end of the year if I could be in my office full-time. I think that that would be fantastic. Full-time. Yeah. Um, I mean, the the job that I have in Ohio, they're wonderful. It's a a great office. I'm happy to be a part of it. But again, it's such a different... It's a different animal. It's very crisis care. It's very... like you don't sneeze in that office without asking if the insurance is okay with it. So it's really hard to have a foot in both worlds. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, ideally just for quality of life, I'm tired of commuting and Mm -hmm. um, you know, that, that would be my ultimate goal. If it has to take longer, you know, that's fine. Again, I'm I'm very fortunate that it's a, it's a nice office and it's good people and Mm -hmm. that they are even remotely (laughs) pardon me. Um, you know, accepting of me doing my startup while working in their office?
0: Well, I think the big thing, the only thing I can tell you is have a big, I, I still love paper and pen. So if you have a big, you know, yearly planner and Hey, you know, this is, this is my goal. These are where I'm going to get to. So I have a you know, monthly three months, six months, year, three years, five years. Right. And then, cause you already talked about your vision. So you remember the, 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 podcast we do a Roger Levin talked all about strategic planning I think now you strategically plan with some thought and so what are some action items and you know it sounds to me like okay you're going to need to to uh, improve your marketing Mm -hmm. and to get focused on that so that you can get to okay 24 new patients but remember it's your first month everybody's a new patient right yeah so you're going to have some of those you're going to have to start working into recall programs and managing that, and then continuing that, you know, influx of new patients. So there's nothing better than those 24 people become your ambassadors, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So what are, you mentioned this earlier, I'm going to go back to it now. What are some of the things that you feel are those special characteristics slash touch points in your office? So
2: one of my kind of, I would say philosophies of care is really like, walking with patients through treatment. I feel like so many times people, especially in dentistry, they just feel like stuff is told to them. They're not part of that. And you walk out with a paper that has all these numbers and letters and you're like, I don't know what this means. It's expensive. I don't want to do it. So I think, you know, a big thing is I take the time, you know, even in jobs where I made no money and I couldn't make ends meet. I always took the time with patients and meet them on eye level, you know, I'm never walking in with them laying down, we have to be eye to eye. I want them to, you know, take responsibility for their health. And I want them to know that it's more than, you know, a cavity or a bleeding, gun. like this is truly health. And I think that's where I've really resonated with taking courses at the Koi Center. Um, That's really kind of wrapped everything together for me pretty well. And probably my favorite quote, and I think that this is truly like, the core of like who I am. And I think what makes me different is, um, John Coyce has a quote, a, a quote that says something to the effect of like, there's no joy in mediocre dentistry. Mm-hmm. And like, I love what I do. And like, that's why I limit myself to restorative. Cause I love restorative. I know that I can do a really good job for you. And you know, you come to see me and you're going to get the best. And I love doing it. It, it. Nothing brings me more joy than a gorgeous margin, a gorgeous finish line, beautiful anatomy. I don't care if it's two or fifteen. Like, I want it to look like a tooth, and I want it to be beautiful, and I want it to look natural. And
0: well, does it do lot with like the treatment planning and the case presentation?
2: Yeah. So we actually ended up doing Oric software, which kind of runs through the Coist protocol, and it's kind of like a risk assessment based approach. So it takes like one of the other things he says is like, you use their medical history to make that like what's going on with them, the hitman and then you get to step in as the healer. And so, you know, in my office, we do an iTero scan on every new patient and we sit kind of knee to knee, (coughs) pardon me, um, going over the scan together. And it's the first time that patients are able to kind of be Mm -hmm. a part of it. And, you know, kind of go into the, like, co-discovery process.
0: Co-discovery, co-diagnosis. Yep. doctor only yeah. reading, baby.
2: Absolutely. But, you know, My I life. will, like, I will do a filling on a tooth. And if it's a, pre- like, I will tell a patient, like, this looks so good. This is a 10 out of 10. Like, this is the cutest premolar. Like, I genuinely feel that. And I want people to know or, like, value what they're getting when they're with me in the chair. Um, and you know, that just that we're there with them, the whole process, you know, there's been offices that I've worked at where it's like, you're done with the patient. You're like, okay, see you next time you can go to the front desk. And then they're just kind of like wandering through the halls. It's like, you no, know, physically every step of the way we need to be with the patient. Cause they don't know, they don't know what we're talking about. They don't know where to go in your office. They don't know what chair to sit into when you bring them in the operatory. Like you have to be there with them. And mm-hmm. so- I think that, and like I said, just the joy of dentistry and the joy of what I'm doing and, you know, getting to that point after starting off from, from maybe less joyful beginnings.
0: (laughs) What would your advice be to, I'm going to say yourself, but to uh, the dentists that are listening, who are thinking about it on the fence, do I start up, do I buy a practice? Do I add insurance? Do I start? Because I have to take insurance. Do I set up my startup like this? And then gradually I'm going to get out of the plants? What would your advice be to all those people?
2: I would say know yourself. Have a clear vision first before you do anything. Stop.
0: Know yourself. Have a clear vision. Yeah, I couldn't agree more from all the people I've spoken to. I don't think enough people understand themselves for sure. Because they're too busy in that other point about what everybody else is doing on social media and how everybody yeah. else has it all figured out. Like you learn, right. In in your class in your mm-hmm. biochemistry class and the other part of that, right. Is know yourself. And what was the second
2: one? Have a vision.
0: Have a vision. Yeah. So keep going. That's great stuff.
2: Yeah. So I think that's really the core of it because ultimately that's how you make, you know, when I'm deciding what equipment I wanted in my office, it went back to those things. What's my vision for this office? What do we want to be known for? Um, and you know, who who am I? Like I like I said, I'm very confident in who I am as a doctor right now. Mm-hmm. I wasn't that way five years five years ago. If somebody was like, no, I want you to pull that tooth, I'd be like, okay, fine, and I'd hate every minute of it. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do that anymore, and I'm not going to. <laughs> so I think just knowing and and knowing it's okay to not be everything to everyone, and I and think it that
0: can't be all things to all. Things.
2: Yeah. I, I think gone are the days of, you know, and they don't have to be. I mean, there are people that do it well, but you don't have to be the general dentist that does everything and sees every patient. Like not everybody's met, for. there's this like scarcity mindset of like, I have to have them all. There's not enough. Like mm-hmm. there are plenty and it's okay to wait for the right people. And it's okay. If not, everybody likes you, which was a big thing. Like I am very much a, I need you to like me person, Yeah, and so so that was a long, that was a lot of like sleepless nights, worried-filled nights, you know, about how something would go. And at the end of the day, it was just like, I'm not the right lid for their pot, you know. I we're just not meant to be doctor and patient. So, but it it it's the right lid
0: for their pot. That's (laughs) I might steal that one. I like that. Yeah, you're welcome too. all right well great advice I'm gonna ask you a final question you're probably ready for it since you listened <laughs> to the show so this
2: is the most stressful part was this question that's coming up here
0: <laughs> there you go I like what I've had fun with the last probably five or six that I recorded most of them were a little off guard and then they they I just said just give me the first thing that comes to your mind and it was yeah. funny because as it, don't worry about it being you know a re- relevant or a a um a representation of your intellect or whatever, just just because yeah. it, it, I think it's it's so much easier when it comes right off the top. What would be your answer if you could go back in time anywhere, any place? Where would you go?
2: Yeah. So, like I said, this was like a weirdly stressful question, and I thought like, oh, well, where would I go back in my own past? And then I was like, you know what? I probably wouldn't because ultimately. These are all the things that led me to this point. So I don't need to go back to my own past.
0: But you're in Boston. Don't you want to hang out with Sam Adams? Don't you want to like...
2: <laughs> That's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, I would definitely go back, and I honestly was like, I don't even know when this would have been, but like I would go back to a time where people did their own gardening, they made their own clothes, like just back to that simpler time where people were more in control of their day-to-day life. There wasn't all this like technology stuff and all these right. other demands. You know, <clears throat> pardon me.
0: Like little house in the prairie.
2: Yeah, exactly. Like I would love nothing more than to just have a big old farm and go out and live off the land, and you know, just have it be simple, where your days spent mostly outside, and like, I don't know, that's just what you do.
0: Perfect. <laughs> Perfect answer. Right, makes sense. You know, it's it's more about for you in that situation is the experience of living in those circumstances and freeing up all that mental energy that's wasted on all that other nonsense
2: yeah for sure
0: that's awesome well i appreciate you very much so we are going to promise me you'll call me in uh november and let's do an update and let's let people know how you're doing you'll be six months in and Let's, uh, let's, let's put it on tape and let's let people know how you've overcome the next obstacle.
2: <laughs> Sounds yeah. good.
0: That's right, baby. It's, it's exciting. I, I just You're just such a winner. And uh, I can't wait. I can't wait. I think so many people can, can learn from you. So your, your story is inspiring. Your road is not an easy road by any stretch. And very few people I've spoken to have had that much struggle. In their private practice too so um I, I just you know i mean you have to have such a like you said i'm comfortable i know who i am and now that'll propel you because that's always worked before so
2: yep. yeah yeah we don't need the gut. highlight reel we just need the real real
0: trust your gut that's right <laughs> yeah. don't worry about the other stuff it's all background noise so thank you again i appreciate you very much and thank promise to and i will put um Send me a little sheet with any information you want to share, like your contact number, where they can reach EDC, Erie, Erie Dental, uh, what was it? Erie Dental Center? Dental
2: Company. Erie Dental Co.
0: Erie Dental Company. Okay.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Erie Dental, Erie Dental Company. You're going to have a big logo. You're going to have mugs. Everybody gets a free coffee mug. <laughs> All right.
2: Thank you, Sonny. This has been fun.
1: Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Feed for Service Dentist Podcast. If you would like to share your fee-for-service story, please fill out our contact form at ffsdentistry.com. Also, be sure to join our Fee-for-Service Dentistry Facebook group. For help starting your dental membership plan, visit dentalmembershipdirect.com and membershipmastercourse.com. Finally, for help with in-house financing, visit dentalfinancingdirect.com. And don't forget, your story is what you make of it. This is your name on the door and your reputation on the line. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time.